in the Great Hall of Justice. There are assembled the world's greatest podcasters, created by the cosmic legends of the universe. Zan! Hope! Cal! Timbo! Their mission, to entertain their audience with reviews of kinetically enhanced narratives, right the wrongs of terrible acting, horrible directors, and to thwart the evils of Kyle Smith. They are the Sparagan Movie Review! In tonight's episode, the Sparagan Movie Review Group begins their month of capes, costumes, and crazed criminal masterminds with a film that has been made infamous by Terrence Stamp. Now let's join our heroes in the far-off world of Krypton! I ask you now to pronounce judgment on those accused. Their crimes against the Kryptonian Broadcasting Council are varied in their nature. From releasing podcasts to reviewing motion pictures, these deviants have done much to affect the people of Krypton. The following episode contains adult language, mature situations, doomed crystallized alien worlds, epic spit curls, Marlon Brando, made-up Kryptonian power, a suicidal female reporter, the son of Jor-El, and the greatest criminal mind of our time. Finally, we come to General Zahn. Chief architect of this intended podcast and author of their insidious plot to establish a new podcast among us with himself as absolute ruler. The decision of the council will now be heard. The vote must be unanimous, Cal. It has therefore now become your decision. You alone will condemn us as if you wish, and you alone will be held responsible by me. You will bow down before me, Cal. I swear, no matter that it takes an eternity, you will bow down before me. Both you, and then your ass. Listener discretion is advised. You will kneel!
Episode 43. Kneel before Zan! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spark and Movie Review. This is your host, Zan. And I'm Cal. Yes, Cal has returned. It's a miracle. Ah! He survived his nuclear disaster in Tokyo and Osaka. He's not green. We've waited so long for him to return. Apparently there's some of you out there who miss me. I've yet to see proof, but it's okay. I trust Zan. We returned for another fun-filled episode, and actually this is good because this is the first of the month of Capes, Costumes, and Crazed Criminal Masterminds. Yes, our third theme month in the month of, of the year of 2011, and you've come to a good time because this is one of Cal's, well, it's his namesake. Anyway, but we're getting off topic. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome. Spark Inside that provides information and views about connecting enhanced narratives, specifically in this podcast, movies, or other podcasts, Spark and Minor talks about mangas and comics. You can check us out at www.spirekin.com. You can email us at spirekinmovie at gmail.com. Cal.spirekin at gmail.com. That's Cal with a K. Zan at spirekin.com. That's X-A-N, not Z-A-N. Not Z-O-D either. Not Zod. <laughs> Have you told them about the Spirekin porn review yet? That is coming up soon. Shh. Oh. <laughs> you can also check out our Facebook under Spirekin Movie at Spirekin Movie Review Group on Facebook. We're on a Twitter under Spirekin Movie, and we have a voicemail, 206 where you can just email us and leave voicemails and whatnot, and just call and rant and rave about us, tell us if you liked our reviews, if you don't like our reviews, if you think that this movie that we're going to be reviewing today is as awesome as it is, and again, we are going to be turning on the air conditioner because it's too fucking hot. It's so hot. It's so hot today. I don't know why. I think the DVD player just let off excess heat due to the epicness and amazingness of this movie we just watched. True, true is epicness and amazingness of this movie, but before we get into that, we should get into that thing which we haven't done in a while, and what are we talking about? We're talking about the Sparkin' Email Review! Master, I have mail for you. There's a letter in your mailbox! You got me. A bunch of emails for random things that have been going on, so let's get on with one of the big ones. The first one we'll go is actually kind of on topic, and that is, where's Cal? It's been a while since we heard anything about Cal. Is he still part of the show? I was really excited to hear about his trip to Japan. Let me know, or let us know, Danny. Who is us, Danny? Are you the empirical us? <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Come on, seriously. Well, since he's asking about me, I'm not going to shit on him, but uh, I'm back, so... Uh, yes, I did go to and from Japan. Um, I survived. And we'll see it down you know, a few years from now if I have any kind of health <laughs> repercussions from going there. But I hope not. Knock on wood. Maybe you'll get super strength. Well, I already have super strength. But super superior strength. <laughs> well. To do many things. One can only hope. But those iodine pills, hopefully they worked. It wasn't like, this is an iodine pill. No, it's a sugar pill. No! <laughs> But yes, um, we have the first part of your actual trip from Japan, which we're going to insert later on as a supplemental. Yeah, so there's, there'll probably be an episode dedicated to uh, talking about Japan, and I actually have some stuff that I recorded while I was over there that I haven't gotten a chance to send Zan yet because uh, file size limitations on the email, so I have them all on my computer. Yes, the only thing I have of you is uh, talking to someone about Octopussy for... <laughs> did he not... Were you, you were, I know you weren't insulting him at first, but did he get offended at all by that? <laughs> by you guys laughing at him? No, he didn't understand what we were talking about. And uh, what, what Zan is talking about is a, a video that I shot. Of, we were just talking with some of the people we were staying with, and uh, it, was, it was just funny. Because the groom in question, he got it, and yeah, he some did. of the other people got it, but <laughs> this guy was like, was like, come on. Did you at least kick his ass in bowling? 
No, actually, I, I was the worst one. They were they were all better than me. Uh, yeah. But he was cool. He was wearing one piece shirt. I thought that was fucking. I was like, yes, he's wearing one piece. One piece is exceptionally popular over there. That's probably the most popular uh, thing there is there is right now over there in terms of uh, anime and, and manga. If you go to the manga, you, you should definitely try reviewing it. I have the first three volumes. You're not going to get past that because there's like 70, it's up to episode 70 over here. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be epic undertaking. No, because it, it goes down then it goes up. But anyway, okay, so you've heard it. You'll so be- that was that was Japan. So th- there'll be there'll be an episode dedicated to that. So, mm-hmm. you yep. know. And the reason I haven't been in a lot of episodes, just work has been crazy, so I haven't had a lot of time to come over and, and record. Yeah, well, you so. took two weeks off, so they're like, now work, yeah. work, and they take another week off to go to some other magical land. Oh, that was just a weekend. I actually left after work and came back in time to go to work on Monday, dead did, tired. Did you hit the Supergirl? No, I didn't. Damn it! <laughs> Should have went for it. She was kind of cute, though, right? Yeah, she was cute. That's for a joke for another day, or a video another day. We'll have images, maybe. Perhaps. So, all right. So let's get to the next email. This okay. one is: Hey guys, what did you think about the Smallville ending? Overall, I enjoyed it greatly. Seeing Lionel get his heart ripped out was badass. Wish the ending had a little more punch to it, though. You, we could have seen Tom in the suit for real and not CGI. Okay, so obviously, Smallville's finale already happened. We okay. saw it. We yeah. had a very interesting night there. It was actually, when yeah. That you was... were like, silence, everybody. So for for those that don't know, and I guess nobody knows unless. You guys know us in person, but I had a party uh, at my house to celebrate the end of Smallville, and uh, so we watched the episode. We all and then we all proceeded to get very, very drunk in honor of our favorite show or my favorite show. Anyway, we did a shot of Jameson immediately after the show was over to kind of send off, and then we all started drinking. And I don't remember much of the night, but I do remember the episode, and it was a very good episode. I thought that. It was probably the best that you could really hope for, and that's not saying anything bad. It was they wrapped up all the storylines of the show. They showed you what you've been waiting for, which is to finally see him embrace his destiny and become Superman. And yeah, they didn't show him in the suit, but uh, you know, so what? Who cares? They, you still saw Superman flying around. You got to see what you really wanted is him deciding to do it, and and his huge turning point with him, which is the the scene with Darkseid, and where he st- first flies as Clark. For the first time ever, and I still call it. I call that not dark side. I just say that's Lionel Zombie, Zombie Lionel. They could well, have had. They could have just put the extra twenty dollars to have Dark Side in like a, a corporal form. Now, my only complaint, the only complaint that I had is that I don't necessarily think that the way he dispatched Apocalypse and everything like that didn't really read well to me on on screen. I mean, it, he kind of just flew in front of. Apocalypse, and then what they were trying to say was him just doing that and and standing up against him is what caused all the people watching to have hope finally, uh, and then Darkseid's hold over them went away, and then Apocalypse was weak enough that it it just left Earth, but it it didn't. You it's have to actually say that it's just, we'll just keep going. You have to you have to really think about it. Like it, it's not like Superman actually did anything. He he saved the plane, yes, but. When it came to Apocalypse itself, he didn't really seem to actually do anything. He didn't fight anybody, and he didn't... So, that's kind of the only complaint I, I could say I had, is that you really had to kind of think on a different level to kind of get what they were going for there. But when they fast-forwarded seven years in the, into the future, and they show that he's still with Lois, and that they're finally going to actually get married, and, you know, then they gave you a little bit of a tease of his life as Clark Kent, the reporter, with her there. I mean, that was really cool. I liked seeing that a lot. I thought that was a great moment. And 
uh, overall, I'm really happy with the way the show ended. I never thought the show, back in 2001 when the show started, I never thought the show would last 10 years. And I really, I, I was afraid that the show would get canceled before we actually got to see them show what we finally got to see. And I'm so happy that they did it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you really think about it, this is going to be the Superman story for a lot of people. A lot of people who were too young to have seen the movies or who saw the show first and they went back to the, to the movies. And, and since there's 10 seasons worth of 22, 24-episode, hour-long episodes, I mean, Tom Welling is going to be Clark Kent for a lot of people. So to, find, to see that he finally was able to fulfill the, the, the role of Superman, I, I, I was very happy with it. That last scene where he's on the roof of the Daily Planet and he's running in slow motion and rips the, the shirt apart and you see the S and that's how they end it. I mean, I literally cheered it in in my house. Yes, he did. In every commercial, he'd go like, ah! <laughs> oh, like his head and going crazy slowly. <laughs> it was good. I, l- I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. The little things nitpicking here and there, but overall it was an excellent end to the series. I enjoyed it. And I liked that they kept continuity the same. The fact that... Way early on, they showed a future Lex vision of to Lex, and he had the glove on. And this explains about the glove. Hmm. Yeah, his Michael Jackson glove. You knew that they had to do a memory wipe on on Luther, which you yeah. know that yeah. make I, you knew that was coming because he knew too much. So that had to happen. The fact that he killed Tess, I think everybody pretty much saw that coming a mile away. Hoping she survived, I really did. I knew it was going to happen. I was hoping she survived. Do you get the impression that Chloe and Oliver stayed together, or do you think that they? Oh, that she's just a nanny to, to Oliver's son. Not a nanny, but maybe that they had a kid and they're not together anymore because he wasn't there with her at the end, right? I don't know. We'd have to find out. Because in in the comics, he's with Black Canary, right? Yeah. Well, they're married. It's a whole. I don't know. We'll see. It's its own continuity. I don't know. Who knows? All right. So, Jeff. The writer continues saying, also two questions. You guys ever going to review any of the Superman mangas, comics, or movies? Interesting (laughs) question. The mangas and the comics, maybe? And the last one... You know what, we should should do something for the DC reboot. We should read some of the number ones. Oh, we we are. Oh, definitely. We are going to do some of that. Alright, now, last one. If you did not have to pick Zod or Luther, who would be your top five villains for the new Superman movie? Oh, and no dark side either. Okay, I gotta call shenanigans on on Jeff for a, for a little bit. Like, why would you remove Luther Zod and Dark Side as choices? I don't know why. Um, but if we have to stay within his parameters, I would say I for years I've been saying that I think Parasite would be a cool villain for Superman because the nature of his powers, he he can depower Superman in a way that that's not just like what they did in Superman Two, which we'll get to. They can be on even ground for a, for an actual fight eventually when they're as uh, Superman is depowered and he's powered up to the to a point where they match a little bit. Yeah, that would kind of uh, be good for a fight. Um, so let's see, five hundred. Well, Brainiac is another obvious choice. I think the only thing is, I mean, could you really pull off Brainiac? And I mean, would it would it sound too cheesy in a movie? No, I mean they did it on Smallville and it Brainiac, was fine. Brainiac could work. I think Brainiac could work. I'm waiting for you to say your five, then I'll say my. But five. would it be, would it be Brainiac as, you know. Would it be Brainiac as, like, just a robot, you know... It'd probably be Brainiac, the or... Kryptonian, slash the Collector, because that was the whole deal. They split up the two characters in the car- cartoon series, the Collector and the and uh, Brainiac, into two different people. He was both. He collected knowledge and he collected species. He'd just do that. He's hunting the last Kryptonian. 
Yeah, well, yeah, Brainiac was... He had those orbs, right? Yeah, the, the memory orbs, which, is, which were his uh, memory banks. Yeah. Alright, so that's, yeah, that's two. True. Mongol is another choice you could always go for. What? Zen is making a face. No, that was the one I was going to say, but okay, go on, Mongol. Okay. Well, I, I mean... Okay. Of course there's going to be overlap with ours. I mean, how oh, could yeah. there not be? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Number four. Who could number four be? Mm, no Zod. No Luther. Uh, I mean, I guess you have Metallo. I don't know. I've always kind of not liked Metallo that much. I don't know why. I don't know. He just seems like... You know, with him being a robot, and, and I know Brainiac's a robot, but you have... At least Brainiac, you have the backstory of him being... Uh, from Krypton, so you can actually get into some of that. Yeah, I mean, I guess Metallo's up there, um, and the other obvious choice, I think, would be Bizarro, but... Me am Bizarro, or I'm just a little more bizarre than you. You mean the way they did it on Smallville? Which one would you pick? See, as much as I love the, the traditional cheeseball, me am Bizarro, it's kind of it's kind of hokey, isn't it? I mean, a little bit. Mm. So, but if you don't do it that way, then... Like, what is it? Is it just, like, an evil version of Superman? I mean, then then what? Superman 3. I mean, all over again. I guess... I, I don't know. Maybe, actually, not to break the rules a little bit, but if you have, like, Mischief Pisslick split Superman in two. I know I went into six villains, but if you have Mischief Pisslick split him into two, and then he fights the evil version of himself, man, maybe it's not the evil version, maybe it's just, like, almost like the Smallville red kryptonite version of himself yeah. and where he's like the good version of himself that would kind of be cool yeah, that's cool alright so I broke the rules but what are yours right, well since you took two of mine I already retained it now first one is easy Cadmus Cadmus with Amanda Waller what does he fight robots or no they're trying creatures? it's just them against Cadmus they're trying to and it could lead to something like a biological weapon a, a supercharged human maybe blockbuster all under Amanda Waller's watch okay I like that just essentially, there's a whole thing of humanity versus Superman. It gives you that. Second one, Inner Gang, who's always been a very big enemy to Superman. You mean like the guy's name? Bruno Mannheim. Yeah, Mannheim, yeah. I guess so, yeah. You just do it, and you could lead into something like you could have Luther Corp involved or Darkseid involved, but you're not in, not using it. It's kind of been the rules a little bit then. Like kind of what they did on the cartoon where where yeah. Darkseid and maybe Luther Corp supplies them with weapons and whatever and, yeah. and advanced alien shit and that's how you have some fight with, with yeah. Superman. But Exactly. Okay. Mongol is always a good choice. If you wanted to remake the whole the man who has everything into a movie, that would be amazing. Especially the fight at the end because that shows Superman pissed off. Like really upset. And also the best line that burn is my favorite part of them. Like Mongol is one of the characters that could act, could go toe to toe with Superman, you know. And but you get instead a good of fight. him, because you said it, I have someone who can't go toe to toe with Superman. Who? He can go toe to toe with a lot of people, and they said they're making his movie, and I'm very happy about this. I'm talking about the main man himself. Ooh, that's a good choice, Lobo. Uh, yeah, that's a good <laughs> I mean, choice. Lo- I mean, Lobo, the guy who kicked God in the nuts just because <laughs> who the Easter Bunny hired to kill Santa Claus, Lobo. <laughs> You could do so much with him. Just have it that Luther hires him as a bounty hunter, or better yet, you have someone like Mongol hire him, or Darkseid hire him, or the New Gods. There's so many choices. Okay. That's a good choice, actually. I like that a lot. All right. Have that. So Next, that's that's three, right? Yep, that's three. Next one, well, even though it would make it kind of a funny comedy, a little bit funny, Mixie. Mixie? Okay. Or I'd go with Mixie from the version where you found that Mixie actually, he 
I forgot what the, it's like the greatest story ever told, where you find that Mixy every hundred years he changes his personality, and at the end of it, because he, he's been the last hundred years being a little just prankster, mm-hmm. he, he's actually like a malevolent being. Okay, but he just has those powers. He just has reality altering powers in the fifth dimension. He'd be he could if you do him right, he could be badass. Okay, so does he still have the rule of? Yeah. That was the hundred year rule. Maybe I don't know. It's mm. up to up to you. I mean, that's he's a maybe, but if you really wanted to go a different route, we'll we'll, we'll get rid of Mixie because you said Mixie. Let's get rid of Mixie. So number four, Maxima. I like Maxima too. She's cool. Maxima, you have a hot girl, a girl that he actually fights, and the girl's like, oh no, you can't punch her. You can't punch her. She's friggin' there to get Superman's attention. She goes to Earth to be a, a hero, maybe. And then when he spurns her for Lois, she goes crazy. It's all angry and, and pissed off and just crazy. Okay, but then ultimately Maxima is not a villain, though, right? She's just she, she, she's she just plays, a warrior she queen. Plays, she plays both sides. So she's a villain, she's a hero, she's a villain, she's a hero, she's a villain. Okay. So anyway, now, the final villain. This took a lot of thought on my part, but I think this is going to be the best villain possible because of the just the complex nature of this character. I just think that it would work really, really well. Salmon Grundy. Mm, sell me on that. Why? Why Salmon Grundy? Because yeah. you take Superman, who is basically science, he's science. And you mix him with something which he can't really... One of his... Superman has three weaknesses. He, his, it's his moral code is a weakness. Kryptonite... You could say that about every hero, then. And magic. You throw in the magic element. You get a, a person who can't do it. You do. And why do I pick Salmon Grunny? Because Salmon Grunny is essentially a magically animated corpse. I mean, I could have picked someone like Dr. Fate or Granny Goodness. Which, Well, that's still technology. Or, you know, Morgan Le Fay. But Salmon Grunny. And if you throw in He Wants Pants, it would be the greatest. Salmon Grunny won't pants. But no. Someone's like, oh no, he's just, just being stupid. He's just being stupid. I mean, you could go with Toy Man. You could go with Live Wire, who's made specifically from the cartoon, but now she's a real person. You can go with this, the Suicide Squad. You can go with Checkmate. You can go with OMAC. There's too, there's too much. I mean, Superman, really, he does not have a lot of toe-to-toe characters. You're going to want to go with either a gang who's after him, who has advanced technology, or you're going to want to go with a magic user. That's all you could really go with him for. That's it, unless you want to have him against Luther. But a lot of everybody always whines about Superman doesn't have... In, in the movies, he doesn't have anybody that fights him. That's why I picked which, those. Which is not true. I mean, first of all, yes, the first Superman movie, yes. It's it's just Luthor, and there's no actual physical confrontation. But then you go into Superman 2, which we'll get into. Let's skip Superman 2 for now, since we'll get into it. Superman 3, you have the whole... Him getting split in half, that, that whole fight scene. Then you had the... Nuclear whatever that man. No, that's 4. That's Superman 4. No, three only had just it had the the good Clark versus dark Clark because that and then it had the it had that something. robot at the end remember whatever yeah the, the computer and, yeah and then um, I mean in the in the cartoons in the comics he fights character he fights people all the time so I mean there's plenty of villains that they could go for I mean if you want to have a lot of action you're gonna get it and I, I know a lot of people complain that Superman Returns didn't have action I disagree with that but. This isn't a review of Superman Returns, so... Yes, we'll get to that eventually. So now it's the part you are waiting for. What we're talking about, we're talking about the review and the first entry in the month of Capes, Costumes, and Crazed Criminal Masterminds. If you remember from the last episode, we rolled the one, the only, the dodecahedron of movies, and it dictated us that we were reviewing a movie which actually came out in 2006. Well, Believe it or not. 
Yes. Sort of. Because the original came out in 1978 mm, or 79. 78 was the original movie, so the second movie maybe was 80? Yeah, it was 1980. Okay, so it originally came out in 1980, this is a re-release of it. Changed yeah. dramatically. And the reason why is that the original director left halfway through filming of the... He didn't leave. He was fired. Oh, he was fired? He was fired by the studio. So, backstory. So, back in 1978, a movie came out that made us believe a man could fly. So that movie and its sequel were shot at the exact same time. You know, they kind of did like what they did with Lord of the Rings, where they were shooting all throughout a big set of time, and they were going to release the movies very close to each other. So that's the way it, w- it was happening. So what happened was the movie was behind schedule a little bit, and the studio was starting to get a little bit worried. So the director, Richard Donner, changed some of the end of the first movie and got the movie out the door, and he actually took the ending of what was intended to be for the second movie and made it the ending of the first movie because he figured that that would be more dramatic and, and would help the movie sell better and get more uh, recognition from the fans. So in the meantime, that movie came out, and then before he had a chance to finish his work on the second movie, the studio fired him and replaced him with another director, Richard Lester. So two Richard directors. So Richard Donner never got credit as the director of the original film, and even though he had shot probably at least well over half of the footage that ended up in the theatrical... eighty percent of it he shot. Okay, 80, he shot 80% of the footage that actually ended up being the second movie, and Richard Lester came in and shot the rest of the scenes and released the movie and he got credit as the, as being the director. So what they did was this was kind of one of the stories in Hollywood ever since then that that this that this happened and with the release of Well, hold on a second. Let's see what Richard Lesser has done since this movie. Since it, his career went down the toilet after this. When he releases, he did the next sequel and then after that he just went in the toilet. Your, yeah. His career bottomed. It's On the other hand, Richard Donner had a successful franchise with uh, with the Lethal Weapon movies. Yes, he did Lethal Weapon, he did Radio Flyer, he did Lady Hawk, The Goonies, The Toy, which is an amazing movie, <laughs> a Maverick, Assassins. He worked a lot with Mel Gibson. <laughs> I think they're friends. But he also... Yeah. Do you think they're still friends? Now that Mel Gibson is insane? <laughs> Who's more insane, though? Mel Gibson or... Winning! <laughs> oh, God, that's a... I don't know. A good question, but all right, we'll get into it in a moment. So this movie was produced by Michael Thau. He's a guy who paid the money to to get the pieces of this film together. He's like, okay, we they remade a sequel in 2006, and they said, you know what, we're gonna get all the money together. Let's talk to the Brando family to see if we can get the footage that Marlon Brando shot, mm-hmm. and we'll see what we can do. To yeah, they get had it. to get they had to get permission from Marlon Brando's estate to use the footage that was intended for this movie because Marlon Brando originally was not credited as being in the theatrical release of this movie. The he was not, because he, he's not in it. So He was they, not happy. They, they, had to, they had to go back and they had to go back and get permission from his estate. Since and they, and they did. And this guy paid a, a big chunk of change, and I think it was worth it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was actually written, the guy who wrote both <laughs> films, is actually the guy who did The Godfather. The book. The book. Yes. Which is another Marlon Brando connection, if you think about it. Six Degrees to Brando. Yeah. Or Six Degrees to Bacon. <laughs> Maybe. From Goodfellas. I wish I had Six Degrees to Bacon right now. I'm hungry. Uh, you had Bacon Sandwich. All right. Supposedly Mankiewicz. No, that's not Malkovich. I thought it was Malkovich. It's like, is that Malkovich? Mankiewicz. Creative All right. consultant. All right. And also this story was written by, and it's based by characters by two guys, Joe Schuster, who's dead, and Jerry Siegel, who's dead. 
They're both dead. The majority of this cast is actually dead. <laughs> yeah, Margot Kidder's still alive, right? Yeah, Margot Kidder's still alive. Terrence Stamp, who has done a lot of stuff. Young Guns, Alien Nation, Adventure of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, The Limey, he was in Phantom... Yeah, he was in Episode 1. He was Valorum. Hmm, Supreme Chancellor of Valorum, yep, look he, at that. He was in Bowfingers at Red Planet, he was in Smallville, he was in My Boss's Daughter, I remember that movie, that movie sucked, he was in Elektra. He was in Elder Scrolls. He was in Halo 3 as a Prophet of Truth. He was in Wanted. Get Smart. Yes, Man. Hmm. The Adjustment Bureau. Oh, my God. This guy's he's fucking still the man. <laughs> he, he is. is. He is still the man, and he plays a very iconic character. There's also Jack O'Halloran, who he has the best character because he has no lines. <laughs> this was... <laughs> like, has he done anything? I don't know. Since this... Has Jack O'Hara done anything since his movie? He's a boxer, actually. Hmm. Oh, he was in King Kong 78 and he was in Dragnet. Valerie Paneri, who... She was in Cannonball Run as the cop who pulled over the two hot girls. Oh, and, was she? Okay. Yes, and she was also the, the quote-unquote lead villain's girl mall. Uh, who else is in there? Margot Kidder, as we said, who... This is before she went crazy. <laughs> was she a bipolar or is she just insane? I don't know. I don't remember. Sarah Douglas, who is... Surprisingly, she looks exactly the same when we saw her at New York Comic Con last year. Yeah? She looks exactly the fucking same. She's still hot. Hmm. She's still creepy, though. She still looks like the queen, the queen from... Queen Tamara from Conan the Destroyer. <laughs> but she doesn't have those crappy dreadlocks she had. And Jackie Cooper, who passed away, unfortunately, recently. Then Ned Beatty, and he's not raped in this movie. <laughs> oh, Ned Beatty, I will never let you live that down. Even though you've done movies like Toy Story 3 and Life... But no, I'm going to remember you for Deliverance, where you got raped. <laughs> and then Marlon Brando, as we said, and Gene Hackman, a great actor who... Did he pass away? No, Gene Hackman's alive. Yeah. As of the recording of this podcast. Yeah. So this movie that we're reviewing is his latest credited movie. It's his last film. Isn't that ridiculous? And the, it was shot in the 70s. Oh boy, oh boy. And then last but not least is, is a great man. Unfortunately, as we said in the last episode, he died of quadriplegic. He worked so hard to, to get stem cell research pushed forward. He's done a lot of stuff and he's very iconic and he made us believe a man could fly. The one and only Christopher Reeve. Yes, and this movie was made, like I said, we released it November 28, 2006 and the budget was $54 million. Million, million. $54 million. <laughs> and now you could say it. Because you've been like, <laughs> finally. So we're reviewing Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut. Yes, which is... So, why did this movie come to be? Because of everything that we said a few minutes ago. So, Richard Donner never got a chance to... He got fired, and he never got a chance to re release the movie the way he wanted it to be. And if you actually go back and look at the story of this whole thing, and you understand what happened, and you see... His original intended ending for Superman 1 is the first few minutes of this movie. So you understand the way that Superman 1 and Superman 2 were supposed to connect to each other. And it's actually... It, it would have been a lot better had it actually gone that way. Yes. Not that the Superman 2 that we all know isn't also a good movie. But I think that had things gone the way that they were originally intended, I think everything would have been ultimately better for it. Some people think that this is the superior film, some people think that this is the weaker film. This depends on really if you like comedy or not, because Richard Lester is a comedy director. He put a lot of slapstick and a lot of funny scenes in, in, the, in his version of Superman 2. This took out a lot of it and added a lot more dark portions into it. Similar to the international cut, which some of you don't think exists, 
Like Baz, no, the, the international cut definitely exists. I have it. Yeah, Baz is obsessed with. like, no one has this. I was like, I know four people who have it. No one has it except me. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where he kills a little kid. We know. We <laughs> yeah. know. We know Baz because Baz is just as big as a Superman fan as you. <laughs> he wanted to be on this, and I was like, nah, maybe not. Give us the cap. So now, for those of you who've been living under a rock for the last thirty years. 30, yeah, 30, yeah, thirty years. The last I can't believe 30, it's been thirty years. The last thirty-one years, Superman Two takes place directly after this first Superman, where if you don't, in the beginning of Superman One, three criminals were apprehended for trying to start a revolution on Krypton. These three villains are the ultimate super baddies of Krypton, and if you've ever heard of Krypton, Krypton was a planet which was filled with intellectuals and pacifists. And generally, there was no issues with it. It was a very peaceful planet. And for some reason, these three insidious deviants were unable to be rehabilitated. So, Jor-El, Superman's father, created this device called the Phantom Zone Projector. Now, what is the Phantom Zone? It's a world where criminals could live on their own. We see it as a spinny fly diamond. Mm, yeah, like a... yeah. And so he sends the three criminals... General Zod, Ursa, and Nan, who, if you read the Richard Donner version of the Superman comics, which came out at the same time as this, they actually explain that Zod is actually Jor-El's best friend. And what happened was that, due to an experiment, he ended up getting lobotomized. Because he was brilliant. He was just as brilliant as Jor-El, but this experiment went wrong, and he lost all of his mind. So he was acting like a... Nan? You mean? Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he was originally Jor-El's best friend. Hmm. He lost his memory. And Zod was his companion, his, his friend also, but, you know, Nan was his partner. And then, Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, you know, a little interesting point in that. So what happens is that they end up being sent to the Phantom Zone, Ursa, Nan, and Zod. But before Zod gets sucked in, he says, Jarell, I'm blaming you for this. Not blaming the rest of Kryptonians. You're the one who decided this. I'm going to make sure to make the rest of my life, if I ever get out of here... I'm going to make you and your family suffer for all eternity. Well, the, re- the reason for that is that the, the vote had it to be unanimous, and Jarell came to be the last one who cast the vote, so Zod looked at it as Jarell was the one deciding his fate. Which isn't necessarily fair, but it's not. it makes for a good drama in the movie, so... Yeah, so, and the Superman one. Superman gets rid of two explosives, two nuclear missiles that are going to be sent to destroy California. In the original version, they destroy California, and he goes back in time and versus time. Okay, so let's get into it a little bit. So, at the end of Superman 1, originally, right, as as Zan just said, so the second missile actually goes off and, and hits California, Lois Lane gets killed, and in a fit of rage, Superman turns the Earth backwards, reverses time to save Lois and stop that from happening. So, that wasn't intended to be the end of Superman 1. So, what we see as the original intended ending of Superman 1 is the first five minutes of this movie. So basically what happens is Superman takes that second missile and gets to it in time and actually throws the missile up into space and he assumes that everything's fine, but that missile detonates and frees Zod and Ursa and Nan from the Phantom Zone. So that is how the... Superman 1 was originally supposed to end. It was supposed to end on a cliffhanger of Zod and them getting released. Zod and, screaming, free! And then that was supposed to be the huge cliffhanger ending, and we were all supposed to be like, holy shit, and then wait for Superman 2. That would have been a better stinger, actually. So, yeah, well, 
Yeah. As opposed to just the, the credits had never seen that as a stinger at the end. I mean, that, yeah, but they didn't really do that that much back then in the 70s. You're right, you're right, you're right. That's kind of a modern thing. And I actually like that, the, you know, waiting till the after the credits to see something cool. But, so that's the way Superman 1 was supposed to end, and then Superman 2 was supposed to pick up pretty much immediately after that. I mean, literally, I think it was supposed to be the next day. Because when this film opens after the credit sequence, it's the next day, and they're at the Daily Planet looking at the pre you know that that day's newspaper where Lois had written an article about Superman saving everything from from the missiles and Luther's in, in jail and all that. Type I still of stuff. give it a week because it takes that long to prosecute because he had been sentenced. So I give it a week. I okay, was, yes, that yeah, yeah, that's true. Fine, because yeah, he got true. sentenced. So let's say it'd be about a week, two weeks, and from this point, one of the major differences is that you see Lois reading the newspaper. In the original version, Lois is in Paris for some reason, and there's a nuclear yes. bomb being connected to the Eiffel Tower, and he takes mm-hmm. the Eiffel Tower and throws it into space, and that opens up the Phantom Zone. Right. That's stuff, stuff that Richard Lester shot. Which, actually, I don't mind that scene at all, either. I, I actually think that's a pretty pretty good scene, but I like this version better. Mm-hmm. The way everything opens better in this one. So, in probably the first time, we see some real major differences in the Donner cut versus the original cut. So Lois is looking at a picture of Superman in the Daily Planet, and then she looks over at Clark, and she finally starts to realize the similarity between them. And and I think in this version, they make Lois a lot, quote-unquote, smarter for figuring it out pretty much on her own without anything, any kind of... She's more crazy, though. She's like real Margot Kidder, though. I don't know. I mean, a lot of people say that Lois is stupid because she never... No, figures out that Clark is Superman but that actually is not true she does figure it out even in the original film she figured it out but in this one it was more that she really pieced it together herself I mean in the original one I think that did it only happen when she in that fireplace scene that yeah. she pieced it together so in this one she pretty much figures it out on her on her own and it's evidenced by the fact that she takes a, a black marker and starts drawing uh, a suit tie and hat on a picture of Superman very crudely drawn and, mind you well she's a reporter not an artist so she also can't type. She type. She spells everything wrong. That's the first thing. I mean, she figures out that Clark is Superman in the first five minutes of the movie. It is such a testament to Christopher Reeve's acting. How you can see, like, just if you actually, if you really study his face, especially in this scene, he's he's conveying so much so much subtlety there. He's it's obviously the audience knows that he's Superman, so everybody's in on the joke, but he's almost like. She knows I'm Superman, but I, I need to keep up the act. And the way he does it, and the way he kind of overdoes the Clarkness, uh, for, for lack of a better word, it's just brilliantly done. And that's why, I mean, I think it's good. Anybody's going to be hard pressed to top Christopher Reeve as that character because it's just, it, it, it's just at its finest. It, that's why, me personally, that's why I have always bought the Clark Kent Superman thing. Like, that's why Clark Kent or Superman doesn't need a mask, and Clark Kent doesn't need a, an, any more any more of a disguise. Is because Christopher Reeve did such a good job of selling me on that concept that I buy it. So they go to Perry's office. Perry tells them they're going to be going up to a honeymoon thing in in Niagara Falls, and she confronts him, saying, "You're Superman. I know you're Superman." And he's like, "Well, Perry had left the office at this point, yes. by the way." And he's like, well, um, I don't think, Lois, you have flights of fancy, and you've got such an imagination. Very acting very farm boyish, and just kind of like, oh, well, well, you know. <laughs> and she's like, well, I, I'm going to prove it to you. And she goes and takes a walk. She <laughs> jump, walks out of the 
ledge of the building 30 stories up. And she's screaming for Superman to save her. And Clark, instead of jumping out being Superman, turning Superman, saving her, he runs downstairs. He uses his super breath to kind of blow her up a little bit. uses heat vision to open up the canopy that's that the mm-hmm. that keeps the rain away. And she kind of lands on the canopy, bounces into a fruit truck, gets covered with fruit. They run, super, super runs upstairs. Back, he's like, "That's actually that was actually when he runs out of the office and down to go down. That was actually a really good special effect of the super speed. Yeah, that's well, like pretty much the only time we ever see a super speed effect in this movie, at least. Yeah, um, and it was actually really well done. Like when he zooms right towards the camera, it was like very convincing to me. No, it's it's done really. The, the special effects hold up pretty well, not super well, but pretty well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, this movie came out in two thousand six, but it was special effects from the seventies, so you have to, you know with a grain of salt you have to look at it but you know a, a lot of the practical stuff the stuff that they did on wires and whatnot, that stuff still looks great the explosions look great it's only the time where you had kind of like the crude special effects with you know the uh, him flying against some backdrop and it just doesn't look right you know I mean yeah there's little things you know, but it, you look past that because mm-hmm. the movie's so good so this disproves Lois's theory for right now she realizes because she sees Clark up there she's like what Clark not Superman uh, uh. she passes out and so we go on to our three heroes I mean our three villains who've landed <laughs> at the moon yeah. they go to the moon and they cause havoc learning they have superpowers and this is all something where you see which Cal never noticed but I noticed from the original series is that Ursa female of the group she collects trophies from whatever she kills whoever she kills she collects trophies and you see her take a button from a guy, and she gives him the nut shot, which sends him to, to into space. I never understood why she did that, and it, it really took Zan to point that out. So she rips off the 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 United States logo from the guy's spacesuit, and that's you know obviously that kills him, and then she kicks him in the nuts. I don't know if it's actually in the nuts, but it looks like it. But anyway, yeah, and then you see that that she puts that on her on her tunic later on. And so I guess it's just whatever she sees as that person's thing that uh, a symbol that that person represents that person's nationality or that person's allegiance. She yeah. takes it and puts it on herself, yeah. which is cool. They never actually draw attention to that in the movie, original it's, or this it's one. It's very subtle, but yeah. you, you notice over time. And so they discover their powers. They decide to go to Earth to take it over or Planet Houston. Planet Houston. So obviously Zod is very power hungry, and the reason why he was imprisoned on. Krypton is because he tried to overtake the, the planet, and uh, he started a revolution to try to overtake the planet and, and lost. So he obviously his goal in life is to rule people. So he finally is in a position where he has the power to make pretty much anybody do what he wants, and he's going to use it. Yes, and meanwhile, the third part of this story, Mr. Luther and Otis are in prison. He's got 25 to life. As of the events of the first movie. Yes, and he's in one of the newer scenes, He he's talking about how he's figured out a way to track Superman. He's figured out that there's something Superman's hiding in the north. So he's going to plan a huge escape, which is hilariously done, <laughs> and Otis proving how worthless he is. And I still think Otis would have been good in the newer movies. You disagree. You know... Because it's Ned Beatty. <laughs> I just don't. With. I just don't necessarily think that you need that kind of slapstick comic relief in 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 the movie. I mean, in the first one, you had a lot of Ned Beatty's character, you know, kind of just being silly and, and Lex getting frustrated with him and everything. And you kind of had that a little bit in Superman Returns with Kitty Kowalski being such an idiot 
and you know whatever and his goons not being the smartest guys but I, I find that but they're leaps and bounds smarter than Otis was yeah I find that you don't really need it I, so I, I me personally I wasn't I wasn't unhappy that Otis doesn't really have much of a role in this movie although I am glad that they gave a reason for him not being in the movie so basically there was not enough time to get him out of there and Lex had to escape and Lex basically just left him behind and he's too stupid to realize he's left behind he's just like okay okay boss yeah and he is according to our our was it the goon union theory we came up with he's uh, the perfect example for toady <laughs> where no matter what he'll be no matter what master no matter what no matter what Mr. Luther he's too stupid to realize he's being taken advantage of and that he just got thrown to the wolves but still the funniest scene though I think with him in this was that there's a new scene where Lex goes on a huge monologue and then he hands Otis a pair of underwear saying Slasher uh, Kowalski's a bedwetter and (laughs) Otis goes he sees his shadow he's like pass it on Slasher Kowalski's a a bedwetter then they move the thing. You see it's Slasher Kowalski. Uh, hello, Mr. Kowalski. <laughs> that was kind of funny. But I don't know. So, he's, so, so Lex escapes. And he's going north. And, miss, and miss, with Miss Tessmacher. Who Miss Tessmacher disappears in, over the course of this movie, doesn't she? Yes, she does. But she is smarter than... She's a lot smarter than Otis is. And, and smarter than Kitty, I That's think. not saying much that she's smarter than Otis. She's smarter than Kitty. Whether Kitty's. she's smarter than Kitty, I don't know. No, she, she's she's able to go back and forth with him. Kitty was never able to. because she, she goes back and forth with him verbally. She verbally jousts with him. And he even mm. says he's going to... You want to try smiling without any teeth? Mm. Threat, threat of domestic violence never gets you anywhere, Lex. Something which would not go around well <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> Uh, so from this point on, you've, if you've seen the movie, you know what happened. Well, Superman... So, I mean, the, the next thing, if I remember correctly, the next thing we see is they go to Niagara Falls. And so basically the big scene here is largely unchanged from the theatrical cut. So the whole thing with the kid falling in the water, that's unchanged. Superman comes and saves him and flies away. And this is another reason Lois starts to piece together that Clark is Superman. Because she notices that Clark is gone during the time that Superman is there. And that actually was in the theatrical cut. Now what was in the theatrical cut and not in this one is when Lois risks her life, throws herself into Niagara Falls, thinking that Clark will change into Superman and, and save her. In that scene, it's pretty much the same beats as the scene from with the fruit, fruit thing that we discussed earlier, but instead, you know, so Clark uses his heat vision to break a tree branch that she can use, and then he, he directs her so that she ends up getting to safety, but he never changes into Superman. So, kind of the same beats here, so that so that scene never actually happens in the Donner cut. Next thing we see is a completely new scene. Lois had just gotten out of the shower, and Clark is there to pick her up, and I guess they're going to go out to dinner or something. Lois, having seen that Clark was nowhere to be found during the time Superman was saving the kid, she's once again convinced that Clark is Superman. And what's an interesting thing about this scene is that I believe this scene was Margot Kidder's audition tape. Christopher Reeve had been cast already, so they were trying to find who would be the right actress to play Margot Kidder, and then this scene is her audition tape, and, you know, they had obviously had filmed it, but since this was filmed before Superman 1, you could tell, especially Christopher Reeve looks a lot different. He's not as bulky as he ended up being. He bulked up for Superman, and even more for Superman 2. So I actually like this scene a lot. So this scene was Clark is trying to confess to Lois that he's in love with her. Lois saying that you're your own worst enemy. You always put yourself down. You never stand up straight, blah, blah, blah. She's trying to get evidence to support her theory that he is Superman. And Clark is starting to get a little annoyed saying, you know, 
It's, uh, he, he's annoyed with her constantly comparing him. I mean, who wouldn't be annoyed constantly being compared to Superman? Clark wants her to like him as he is, not for Superman. Even though he is Superman, that's the whole problem, which he brings up. He's like, well, you are the competition, and, he, and he's not. Yeah. He considers him two different people. And so what she does is she literally says, you know what, you're right. And he's like, well, what are you going to do, something stupid again? You tried risking your life. You jumped out of a 30-star building. You're gonna... <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not going to risk my life. I'm going to risk your life. She pulls out a revolver, and she points it at him. Mm. And she's like, well, I'm going to shoot you, and don't get back up. <laughs> and you're like, oh, damn. Now, this is when we have a little contention because Cal... Okay, so so she, she pulls the trigger, right? And at that point, Clark looks at her, and he, he can't believe that she pulled the trigger, and he figures that... She's got him now. You know, you did it. I mean, you shot me, and I'm still alive. Obviously, I can't talk my way out of this one. And he finally reveals to her, yes, I'm Superman. Mm-hmm. Now, something that I pointed out while we were watching this scene was, oh, oh, one thing that he says is, you know, are you crazy? You know, you could have killed me. And she, she says, not with blanks. And that's where I call a little bit of shenanigans on this scene, because if they were blanks, I mean, Superman himself, he's faster than a speeding bullet, so... Theoretically, right, he should have been able to see the bullet coming out of the gun, coming towards him, and obviously if he wouldn't have had any time to step out of the way or whatever, yes, had it been a real bullet, she would have proved her, her point. But because it's a blank, and Superman is fast enough and he's self-aware enough to know that a bullet didn't come out of that gun and hit him, he should have been able to say to her, there were no bullets in that gun. What I mean, you scared me, but that's not going to prove anything. So my position on this is that he is so scared at this point because she's like, she kind of figures out, he's like, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. He's not thinking straight because sadly, Kal-El is not the genius his father was. He is the son of Jonathan Kent, a farmer, and Martha Kent, a farmer's wife. So he, he does. No, 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 no. He has the potential to be that smart, but he falls. No, keep in mind, though, that he's in, in the continuity of these movies, he lived until he was like 17 or 18 with the Kents, and then he spent 10 years doing nothing but learning the teachings of Jarrell. Okay. In complete isolation. Okay, well, alright. But remember also, he, he also has a blind spot for Lois. Lois is his kind of blind spot. Yeah. He always has I, mean, been. I, I might be nitpicking a little bit, but it, 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 I, I think this is a cool scene. I really like this it scene a lot. It is a great scene. And I, I think that it's interesting to see this scene because otherwise you never would have seen it. And it's interesting to, uh, to see Christopher Reeve looking so young. And I think they, that this scene does show that they have a lot of chemistry together and you could really see why Margot Kidder was cast. If it, No, it, it's, it's, it's a great scene. Also yeah. that ending, just when she says, gotcha. Yeah. And he's like, just slumps down. He's like, oh, fuck. It's a very good scene. And the next time we see them is Superman and Lois flying off to, to the Fortress of Solitude. Now, meanwhile, the three super criminals from Krypton have taken over a Midwestern town. <laughs> East Houston, Iowa. And there's a lot of jokey scenes with Nan. And they kind of... Well, they kind of cut out a little bit of the jokey stuff in this, though. Well, no, maybe not. Maybe they left it no, they largely cut, they unchanged. They cut out the majority of Nan's gags of him being trying to, to use... Oh, his... that all happened earlier, though. Like, when he was trying to use his his heat vision and he couldn't... And also him yeah. killing the little boy. It happens in the international cut, not even in the theatrical cut. There was, like, a guy and then a, a little boy on a horseback that was with around as well when they were confronted by the cops. And the little kid runs away with the horse on horseback and either Nan or Zod picks up the freaking siren off the top of the police car and throws it off into the distance and hits the kid with it and the and like 
blows up or something. Maybe he shot it with heat vision or something. I don't know, but that kid really dies pretty yeah. badly. But that's never been shown in the theatrical cut or in this cut. That's in something called the international cut, which is completely uh, a different beast. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to get too much into that because... Yeah, but so they, they pretty much have taken over this town. They're going to the White House to take over, and this is a very vicious scene. Surprisingly, they added another five minutes to the scene, and it's pretty vicious of them taking over the White House. And I'm not talking it's like little things like, oh, they're just going to beat up a couple guys. No, no, no. Zod actually picks up an AK-47 and just starts mowing down people. And yeah. he has heat vision, mind you. And Nod also crushes a support beam. Yeah, and Ursa. I mean, if you were if you were Zod, wouldn't you want to just for just for the hell of it use the primitive creatures' weapons on them? I mean, why would well, he? He was, having, he was having fun. He was like, yeah, yeah. He had the biggest shit-eating grin on his face when he was shooting them with their their own assault rifle. Also, Urso winks at this one guy and just freaking kicks him. <laughs> it looks like she kicked his head off. <laughs> Fatality. <laughs> So then we get the scene, which is pretty much unchanged from the theatrical, where... Bam, chicka, wow, wow. No, not that. The president swears loyalty to Zod as a way to keep peace and to save lives and whatnot. And he says, there's one person on Earth who will never bow to you, and that's Superman. You uh, although knew. Superman is nowhere to be found, apparently, because he is off in the fortress with his new girlfriend. Making the sexy time before he loses his powers. Yes, that's a key difference in, in this one, I think. And it connects to Superman Return. He never loses his powers in this one before having sex with Lois. In the theatrical, he loses his powers first, right? Mm -hmm. so. But this explains why uh, her son. Yes. yes. So, either way, he ends up going to his father, Jarrell, and he says, Hey, Dad, listen, I know you're really proud of me for doing all this stuff for humans, but... I wanna I keep in mind it's a big deal for Marlon Brando to be in this movie at all. Yeah, no. It's so a, it's all the scenes where he talks to his parents in the first one, they replace Marlon Brando with the actress who played his mother, and he's talking to his mother's memory. Which in in the original one, in this one, it's all him and his and it's, father. It's kind of heartbreaking because it's like you see that Marlon Brando, Jarrell, is he's like, look, son, why do you want to give up for this one woman? Haven't you had the bliss of doing the right thing? of the adulation of inspiring people to be better than who they are. I know you felt it. And Cal's like, yeah, I know, Dad, but the fact is, I, I want to get some. I like this girl. He doesn't say it in quite so such a way, but, I mean, more or less, that's it. He, he, he basically says that he wants... The only thing he's ever asked for is, is this, and he wants to share his life with somebody, which is something that I think that's a very human thing for him to want that. And I'm not going to say it's not a Kryptonian thing either because, I mean, obviously people on Krypton got married and, and lived together. So, you know, it's really unfair of Jor-El to assume that his son is, is not going to want companionship in his life and to deny him that. So I can understand why Kal-El made this decision in the movie. I mean... Jor-El kind of takes it, it out of his hands. like saying, okay, fine. You want to be a human? You be a human. You might think of it as selfish on Superman's part, but the way it plays out is when he approached Jor-El to ask him this question. He didn't approach him and say, take away my powers so I could be with this human. He approached him as a way of almost asking for advice and saying, how can I make this work? And Jarrell was the one who told him, no, it's impossible, you can't. It's either her or you are the Earth's champion. It's one or the other. Whereas, originally, Superman wanted to just figure out how to do both and, and it's Jor-El telling him no the series of it working in the comics on and off it's, it's, it's tough and, and I think in uh, in this one it's the real the father-son relationship is so much more pronounced in this movie than it ever was in 
definitely in the theatrical cut of Superman 2, but even more so than in Superman 1. I mean, in this one, it's very emotional, the relationship that, that Clark has with, with Jor-El and going into later in the movie that we'll, we'll talk about later on, but it's very, very powerful. Stuff that I think that wasn't really... didn't like, it, it didn't come off as well in the original cut with his mother. So, going into Superman Returns a little bit, I'd love that they brought back that relationship of Jor-El and, and the father-son thing with... That, that, that comes later, that comes later, that, 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 ah, that prophecy fine. comes later, you know that. Fine. So. No, but, it, fine, I fine, agree, fine, I agree with you that the father-son is one of the biggest dynamics in this, and it's heartbreaking later on. When, so, one thing I thought was shenanigans on this is that Lois wants Superman, and she gets Clark Kent. It's kind of like, really? Really? Come on. Kind of lame. But. Something we forgot completely was that Lex had made it to the Fortress of Solitude and he discovered yes. all the information about Yeah, we mentioned that he was headed north and the reason he was headed north is to find out where does Superman go all the time. And he goes north and he, he finds the Fortress of Solitude before any of the time that we mentioned where, uh, where Superman had, had gone there with, with Lois. So he finds there and he found crystals and he saw recordings of Jarrell and everything. So he learned a lot of key information about Krypton and about Jor-El's relationship with Superman and that Superman is Kal-El, son of Jor-El, blah, blah, blah. Some, it was reshot a little bit to be a little more concise, and some of the scenes were done a lot better. Like in the original one, he goes on this monologue about how they're all villains and he can work with this as he's driving off on, on a snowmobile. And this one, he says it in the middle of the Fortress of Solitude and Miss Tessmacher's looking for a bathroom. One of the yeah. funnier scenes, but it works. And this information he uses That's later the last on. time we see Miss Tessmacher, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Where the hell does she end up? Yeah, who knows. But, so, officially, Zod has taken over the planet, mm-hmm. and Luther's like, hey, uh, I know so you So Luther, have- Luther has somehow, they don't explain how, made his way from the North Pole or wherever the Fortress of Solitude is, all the way to Washington, D.C., to the White House, where Zod, Nan, and Ursa are sitting around, bored out of their minds because they've already conquered Earth and there's nothing for them to do. There's so much they could do. They could kill people. They could make weapons. They're just not thinking. They don't need to make weapons. And well, like, not as the only one who I, I, I give I give like a reason to be bored. I mean, they could be planning to take over other planets. I get well, it's yeah. kind of like, eh, what? but so Lex shows up and he says, "Well, look, I'm the greatest criminal mastermind of all time. I can give you this and this and this and this." And Ursa immediately goes to kill him. He's like, "I could also give you the son of Jarrell." And they're like, "You mean our jailer?" He's like, no, the son of Jarrell, baseball player. <laughs> yes, you're, yes, you're jailer. And they're like, oh, so what do you want in exchange for this? Lex, going back to the first movie, says, I like beachfront property a little bit, so <laughs> I'm thinking... Australia. Yep. <laughs> nah, not a big request, right? <laughs> yeah, only one of the continents on the planet. <laughs> but Lex really showing his arrogance, talking so boldly to these three freaking super beings that would kill him without even thinking twice the only bargaining chip he has is that he knows where to find the son of Jarrell, and that is pretty much the only thing that gets them excited at this point because like i said they're bored and the idea of finally being able to exact revenge on the son of the person who put them in the phantom zone they love that idea so they they pretty much using lex to that end Meanwhile, Clark has discovered that Zod's taken over, and he, after getting into an altercation with a trucker, it's not even worth talking about because it's one of the f- things that uh, they didn't change it. It's just a, a fight with a trucker where he gets his ass kicked as Clark. 
he ends up making his way up to the fortress where this is the I think the best one of the most powerful scenes in the movie where he actually begs for his father help and his Jarrell appears, Marlon Brando appears. Yes. And full corporal form and he says I know that you were going to do this. I kind of figured this would happen. So when in the earlier scene where where Kal-El asked how to make it work and and Jarrell said his only option was to become human, it's now revealed that Jarrell foresaw that he was going to have something was going to come up where he was going to have to have his powers back. And the way Jarrell does it is he's basically saying that he's going to give him every last bit of uh, of his own energy that's sealed up in the fortress. And to restore his powers, and that's the, the Kryptonian prophecy is finally going to become fulfilled, which is the the son becomes the father, the father becomes the son, and this whole thing it's so powerful in this movie that that whole relationship between those two, and that that whole father son thing that we were getting into earlier, it's it's really good, and Jor-El finally appears in in or, or Marlon Brando as Jor-El or appears, and in probably the only time that. Marlon Brando and Christopher Reeve ever appeared physically in the same scene with each other um, is right here, and so basically Jarrell becomes energy and goes into Clark, and Clark gets his powers back. Even though he has a goofy look on his face, and the other guy who shows up there, the, the guy that they put in for the extra scene was stupid. It was a good scene. My fair part though is that he says, first off, he talks to Kal-El and he's like, Clark is ashamed at what he did. He realized he made a mistake and he's looking down and like more great acting by Christopher Reeve, by the way. And and Marlon Brando says, just look at me, Kal-El. Like a father just saying, I know you made a mistake, son. Look at me. And he says, when you were young, when you were little, I gave up my life so that you could live. And I'm gonna do this again. I'm gonna give up and I'll never appear to you again. After this, and Clark, you see Christopher Reeve's face. It's, mm-hmm. it's heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah. It shows how good of an actor he was and how good the chemistry between the two was. It's, it's an amazing scene. It is. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of the best scenes. And originally in the Donner cut, he just gets his, you know, he gets his power and he disappears. It's a much better scene, I, I, I think. Yeah. And they very, didn't use very good scene. Any of the music, any of the score they didn't use, which I liked. They didn't use any of the... So, so now we're heading into pretty much the, the third act of the movie and, um, you know, it's... I mean, more or less, I mean, the, the rest of the movie, more or less, is uh, is unchanged, like the big action sequence between uh, you know, Superman fighting um, the Kryptonians, and that's more or less the same, with the exception of that line, which, so, so they in this version, they replaced one of my favorite lines from, from Superman 2, where Superman's flying outside the Daily Planet building, and he says, General, would you care to step outside, tying back to the earlier scene? Because, I love that part. Because he's he's back, he's powered up. There's a fight outside the Daily Pan because because Lex led them to Lois. Lois, and immediately first off, Zod's like, "Okay, kill him." And he's like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait! I led you, I helped you out." And he's like, "Kill him! They're gonna kill him." Mm-hmm. And then you see he's like, "General, would you like step aside?" Or this version is, "General, haven't you ever heard of freedom of the press?" And you see Lex just have a look of like, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> It's, like, it's not a look, it's, he actually says that. It's like, thank God, Superman. <laughs> and then Zod looks at me like, get him! <laughs> and then a fight sequence, which isn't as slapstick as the regular version. It's a good scene, we're not going to spoil all of it. But there's a couple of ad scenes, like one scene when Jimmy Olsen runs in with a cup of coffee and Lex grabs it from him. And Jimmy's like, that's the Chief's coffee! And he's like, Chief's got it now. That's a good That's a good line by Lex. That pretty much exactly describes you know, like Lex's arrogance. No matter who it is, he always thinks that he's the... 
he's the key person in the room. Yes, and then, so, fight happens, Superman runs away, because he needs to recuperate, get his head together, because three against one, obviously... No, he doesn't run away because of that. He runs away because he he looks, if you, if you pay attention to the scene, he looks around at the carnage that him fighting these three has caused, and the, the destruction and mayhem. He looks at the people, and he realizes that if they continue to fight here... First of all, it'll either it's just going to destroy the city even more, endanger more people, and it'll be a stalemate. They, they, he can't defeat them head on, so he has to come up with something else. So he flies away, and everybody thinks that he ran away, and that's even what Zod and the others think. But in reality, he went. To think. He went. No, I think he probably already knew what he was going to do, and he went ahead of time to prepare the fortress for what he does later. Yes, because he needed to do that. Lex knows what's going on. Lois knows what's going on. And Lex even says, because they're like still pissed off, like, we have won! And Lex's like, what am I going to do with you people? You <laughs> think, you know, and, and he's insulting Zod to his face, and literally they are ready to kill him at this point. Like, mm-hmm. can I kill him now? And he's like, well, you kill me, you're not going to get Superman's address. Exactly. Of course, at this point, Zod realizes that Lex has something on him again, and because he threatened to kill him, he says, I see the greed on your face. What do you want? And Black's like, just a small bobble. Just a little trinket of sorts. Cuba. <laughs> Lex <laughs> does love his beachfront property, yes. Oh, yes, he does. And so they go to the fortress where... So, Lex leads the Kryptonians to the Fortress of Solitude. And he knows where it is because he's been there, obviously. And he goes up there with them and Lois, and they have a confrontation again. This time, this time around, in this version, it's more of uh, just dialogue between them. There's not as there's not really any fight that happens. No ceramic S. No there's ceramic no, yeah, S. Yeah, there's no cellophane S, which I don't even know what they were thinking in the original one with that. So, when it becomes clear that Zod is saying their powers are equal, but there's three of them and one of him. Superman looks to Luther and he's whispering to him, try to get them to come into this chamber. It takes away their powers. And knowing... This kind of plays out exactly the same way. Knowing that Luther will betray him, he whispers that to Luther, and sure enough, Luther plays right into it and tells him immediately what Superman just said. So Zod's solution is to make Kal-El go into the machine and remove his powers. But Luther did this also because they flipped on him again. The minute he brings him there, Kill him first. And Nan's like, points right at him. It's like, yeah. and, and, and he says, like, I know where I stand with you. They, I don't trust them at all. They make me look like a, a normal citizen. And from this point, the rest of the movie plays essentially the same. Even though the dialogue sounds a little different from Terrence's stamp, it's not as loving. It's more harsh. Hmm. Yeah. I think it was more loving when he's like, kneel before me, give me your hand, instead of, kneel before me, give me your hand. Mm. But still, that scene when he grabs the which they replayed in Zod, in Smallville. But it wasn't as good. Mm. I mean, I love that scene in Smallville, but it just wasn't as good. The line, my father sends his regards. It's not as, you know... this point on, everything's the same. The only difference is that... So, yes, so obviously, and if you've seen Superman 2, you know that Superman had reconfigured the machine so that anybody outside that little container, any Kryptonians outside that container, would, would lose their powers and he'd be safe inside. Which is... You know, pretty smart. So, Superman comes out of the machine. He's playing possum, basically, uh, pretending like he lost his powers. And very arrogant Zod forces him to kneel down. And Superman does it. And Zod extends his hand, 
you know, says, take my hand and pledge your loyalty to me, and Superman crushes all the bones in his hand and picks him up with one arm. Throws him into the abyss. Throws him into the abyss. And the rest Uh, of them get thrown into the abyss somehow. Yeah. From this point, then it goes to the original ending from the refilm, which is him going back in time, resetting everything. So, yeah, so so basically, yeah, so the, the key difference here is, so there's a scene now between Lois and Superman where they're basically getting across the point that how can they ever go... They're going to try their best, but, I mean, realistically, how are they ever going to go back to normal now? She knows that he's Superman, and she knows that he can't be with her because he needs to be the hero of Earth, and he can't focus on her. And she's obviously very emotional over this because she knows that they they don't have a future together. And in the original movie, this is where this, you know, super memory-wiping kiss comes in. Um, so in this one, which is the, ori- the original ending of the film is the whole turning the earth backwards bit from Superman 1. So he, that's how he gets her to forget. He And he reverses the devastation caused by Zod and everybody. And it just plays out where she does, you see she doesn't remember what he... She says stuff which kind of shows she may in her subconscious remember, and he's like... <gasps> yeah. I mean, that could be, you know, her instinct of knowing... You know, she figures it out eventually anyway, so that could be her instinct yeah. there as well. But it goes back to the rude guy, and then it goes to the typical Superman flying over the Earth. So then the movie ends. So I think it's a great recut of the movie. I mean, the original Superman 2 theatrical cut is my favorite of all the Superman movies. And this one, I think, you know, it's up there too. I, I think I think this one I like better than the original cut. I think this is a little bit better. I love the stuff with Marlon Brando. Although there are some scenes from the theatrical version that I like as well, so... But if I had to pick one or the other, I probably would give the nod to the Donner Cut for being the better film. Mm-hmm. Also, that scene I told you about, where uh, which happens to Miss Tessmacher, which explains it—the deleted scene when he escapes in the in the in the warden's car—that's actually reveals what happens to Miss Tessmacher. She helps him escape again at the end. Oh, okay. But that mm-hmm. was kind of. Mm-hmm. You know. There are some points of the the Donner Cut which are really really good. Some parts which are weaker in some respects. Like they didn't need. The trucker, I don't think. They didn't need to bring it back. I don't think that, but they did, you know, because it seemed kind of petty. But what are you going to do? That whole thing plays out, it it makes a lot more sense in the original cut when he didn't turn back time. Like like you were saying, that it opens up a continuity error with him going back to the trucker and, you know, kind of embarrassing the trucker. If he turned back time and the trucker never met him and never kicked his ass in the first place... Even in the original cut, you could make the argument that it's petty that he goes back. But you know what? Come on. The guy deserved it. He he deserved it. And Superman, it's not like Superman kills this guy or Superman even hurts this guy. He just stands there and lets him punch him. And then he just embarrasses him by throwing him into the pinball machine. And he he pays the guy for, you know, the damage to his place. And that's fine. I mean, I think, you know, for a, a lot of people say that they can't relate to Superman because he's, you know, he's too powerful or whatever. You know, everybody can relate to just wanting to get a little bit of revenge on somebody, you know, who who's wronged you in the past. And that's another thing that humanizes the character a little bit. Yeah, you know what? He's he's like, you know what? Fuck this guy who who shit on me when I had no powers. I'm going to go teach him <laughs> a lesson. And he he goes and does it. So I I love that part. I hate the original part where he where he gets beat up because it's hard for me to watch him getting beat up by that guy. It's, it's, but knowing that there's the payoff later that that guy's going to get what's yes. coming to him, I, I like it. It's that scene, the scene where he gets his ass kicked, is just as vicious as the well, not at, I think it's with with the exception of Lex stabbing him with the kryptonite shiv, 
it's almost as in Superman Returns, by the way. Yes, not, in not, Superman Returns, it is just as vicious because it's literally he has no powers. He did nothing wrong to this guy except he just was trying to defend his girlfriend, and this guy was viciously beats him. Yeah, it's it's a malicious attack. It's not a, as vicious as the way he got beat up in Superman Returns, though. Superman Returns, he Superman he, he Returns is kind of whiny though. He's like. That's but a, think about it. Superman Returns, he's completely... So, So in this one, he has no powers. So it's just two guys fighting, and one guy who is clearly, you know, has been in some fights and probably somewhat of a tough guy versus someone who has never been powerless in his life, and he's never had a reason to fight anybody like a human would fight another human. So, of course, he's going to get beat up. So... That's that. In in Superman Returns, that scene... I mean, he's weakened by the kryptonite, which is actively hurting him. It's not that he's he has no powers. This is actively weakening him. Like, so kryptonite alone will kill him eventually. And then on top of that, he's getting beat up by three guys at once, and they're they're kicking him while he's down. They're punching him in the face. Trying they're taking, they're, yeah, they're take his face and put it in a puddle. And then after he's completely out of energy and completely beat up, Lex comes over and stabs him in the kidney practically with a with a kryptonite shard and kick, kicks him off the cliff to his death. I mean, that's that's harsh. That is a harsh. You know, one. that's that's terrible. That's a hard scene for me to watch as well. It is a scene. So. There are some issues with the filmography in this version. There are some, like, for the most part, it's a pretty good cut. It aged very well, but some of the re-edited scenes, it's obvious that they're not the actors. It's obvious it's not it's not Margot Kidder. It's but there's only, like, maybe two times in the entire movie that that happens. And one, one of those two times is a, a shot of Clark Kent's back. Where he's the, the actor who's playing him is has the exact same outfit on and it's exact same, I mean come on the scene later on where where Lois Lane is typing on the that's keyboard pretty bad. that's pretty blatantly not Margot Kidder they could have done they could have done a lot with that that's pretty you you pointed out and I was like nah, nah literally you're right that's pretty so bad. with that I mean to get around that they could have just cut directly to typing on the key on the like the the camera looking at the the words being typed on the page yeah. like you didn't need to show that it was Lois it's pretty obvious that it's her. But, yeah, but, but I'm gonna. That's gonna dock a couple points for me. Just a little bit of me. But so soundtrack still John Williams, still amazing. Rewatchability. I tend to skip the boring scenes because it does drag a little bit. But that's always been the case. Just drag some of the scenes. But for the most part, it's a great movie. I think it's actually really interesting if you have the time to just watch the theatrical and then the Donner Cut back to back, so you can see how different it is. If you have the time, that's that's worth it. If you're a fan of if you're a fan of the Superman movies. This movie belongs in your collection, the Donner Cut of Superman. Well, 2. now both of them are in the Ultimate Collection. They are, but if you got the DVDs before that came out, or you know, you never even knew that the Donner Cut existed, and you bought them all individually on DVD, now you need to at least track this this down and pick it up. Very, very much worth it. It's not bad. It's like seven dollars now, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, not 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 expensive to get these movies. So, yeah. and watch uh, it definitely. Watch okay, it. so for those who don't know, we have a five point rating system. Our lowest being protests at your local red box is known as Rensis Reprehensible Piece of Shit to our highest rating, which is really, really, really fucking cool. If you don't buy this now, your brain will freeze, your eyes will open, your soul forfeit to the tenth layer of hell. We'll be forced to watch episode one for all eternity while Jar Jar Binks rubs your back saying, Miss, I love you. Miss, I love you. And then you are forced to kneel before Zod as he while non penetrates you horribly. <laughs> so you're kneeling before Zod while non penetrates you evilly. <laughs> <laughs> well,. How else would you say it? He's a fucking monkey man. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty clear what my rating is. Sorry. Really, really fucking cool. Blah, 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 blah. 
Well, I'm going to have to give it our almost, like, the little things. I'm just going to, because I don't want to sound completely like, yes, this is the greatest movie ever, because, like I said, there are some issues with it, and it does, the pacing is a little bit off, but it's still a great movie. So I'm going to give it Bar from a Friend and Don't Return Unless Offered. Test Mocker. Sounds good to me. Like, I can live with that. I mean, she's hotter than Margot Kidder. She's hotter than Margot Kidder, yeah. Not, she definitely not is. hotter than Kitty, though. Yeah, Kitty Kowalski's pretty hot. Yeah, I like her. Yeah, Kitty. By the way, if you don't know who Kitty Kowalski is, she's the um, female sidekick for Luther in Superman Returns. That's her name. But still, you wonder if if Lex is uh, in this movie. One thing we did forget: there's some questions about Lex. If Miss Tessmacher is a beard for him, now that's old slang for if I mean he's uh, he ha- he's an alternate persuasion. Mean, a man oh, come on. A I don't man, get that feeling. That's A man who owns a Liberace record. I don't get that. And he doesn't think of a girl in a bikini when he's been in prison. He's single-minded. If anything, he doesn't care about sex one way or the other. But if he did it, he, w- he wouldn't be gay. Why would he have her around then? And in the first movie, she's always like... Isn't there a part where she's like in a bikini? In the first movie, yes, but not the second movie. Yeah, well, I, come I think on. Something, something must have happened in prison. He must have changed in prison. Or else oh, now you're talking blasphemy. Well, why, why else in the third movie did he have sex with that, or in, in Superman Returns did he have sex with that old lady? Why no, no, else? No, no, no. You know he did. I know, of course he he probably did, but he wanted her money. <laughs> but still, man, it's an old lady. It's like a 90-year-old woman. Bah. Ah, so, it's been about an hour and 20 minutes, give or take. Wow, long episode. Yeah, so editing will have occurred, most likely. So, remember you can check us out at www.sparkin.com. You can email us at sparkinmovie at gmail.com. Zan at sparkin.com. Cal.spirakin at gmail.com. That's K-A-L dot Spirakin. You can also check us out at on Facebook under Sparkin Movie Review Group. And you can call us at 206-350-8462. That again is 206-350-8462. Leave us a voicemail, message, anything you want so we can know what you think about our reviews. And remember, this is the month of Capes, Costumes, and Crazed Criminal Masterminds. We, where we talk about comics and other things. It should be fun. Originally we were going to do mangas that were comics, but the problem with that is that there's too many. Too many to choose from. Yeah. It would take too long. So we'll probably move it to another month. So, with that in mind... Guess that part we've all been waiting for. And what are we talking about? That one. That only. The Dodecahedron of Movies. Yes, friends, the Dodecahedron. Now, what is the Dodecahedron? It is a 12-sided object. And specifically a dice. And what we've done is we've assigned 12 movies. Because it's a theme month and we don't have any special rules. We usually have special rules where it's only 9. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. 12 comic book based movies and what we're going to do is we're going to roll the dodecahedron one number it lands and that's what we're reviewing in the next episode of the Sparkin movie review so roll and see what we're reviewing in the I next. get to review so we all get to review or I get to roll I mean yes um, hopefully it's not Captain America 1994 with the fake rubber ears number 11 The Incredible Hulk Hulk smash this is actually, uh, I'm actually happy that we rolled this. This this movie, well, that is an interesting movie. It's, it was that or the Angry Hulk. With, he looks like a giant green marshmallow. Or he's known, what is he? They said his name was Angry Man through the entire movie. He's not even called Hulk. Really? I, he doesn't I don't even s- want to go back and watch he, he doesn't even say Hulk smash that movie. He has no dialogue. He just says, <laughs> I like, well, that's another thing. Right. So, so the next episode is going to be Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton. Yes. 
as Bruce Banner. Yep. So, uh, this is a fun episode. First entry in our month of another two-hour episode. <laughs> uh, we need one of those in the theme months. We always have to have a two-hour episode to open up and to close. So, mm. I guess with that in mind... So, this has been Cal, and my favorite quote of the movie is... And this is your host, Zahn, and my favorite quote from the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 is... What am I going to do with you people, huh? I mean, I held up my hand, I delivered to the blue boy. What do I get from my triple threat? Ow, yield, kneel. That kind of stuff closes out of town. Why do you say this to me when you know I will kill you for it? Kill me? Lex Luthor. Extinguish the greatest criminal flame of our age. Eradicate the only man on earth with... Let me kill him. Superman's address. What more do you want? I can see the greed written on your face. The small incentive, or fullest one. A mere bobble to jog the memory. What more? Cuba. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and as usual, we are Gonsville. Catch you next time, and remember, kneel before Zan!
we will never leave you, even in the face of our death. The richness of our lives shall be yours. All that I have, all that I've learned, everything I feel, all this and more, I, I bequeath you, my son. You will carry me inside you all the days of your life. You will make my strength your own. See my life through your eyes as your life will be seen through mine. The son becomes the father and the father the, the son. Listen carefully, my son. We shall never speak again. If you hear me now, then you have made use of the only means left to you, the crystal source through which our communication has begun. The circle is now complete. You have made a dreadful mistake, Kalel. You did this of your own free will. In spite of all I could say to dissuade you. I, uh... Now you've returned to me for one last chance to redeem yourself. This too. Finally, I've anticipated my son. Look at me, Kalel. Once before, when you were small, I died while giving you a chance for life. And now, even though it will exhaust the final energy left within me... Father, no! Look at me, Kalel. The Kryptonian prophecy will be at last fulfilled. The son becomes the father. The father becomes the son. Farewell forever, Kalel. Remember me, my son. <laughs>